0: This morning we're continuing our preaching series in Colossians chapter 3, a series called Becoming. Together as a church, we're focusing our minds and our hearts on becoming who God has made us to be. Our God is holy, and he has made you and me in his image so that we too can display his character so that we can be holy And so God being holy is what sets him apart from all of creation. God's holiness is his absolute purity, his divine essence, his infinite value. So who God is fundamentally is holy. And as we saw last week when we began Colossians 3, we have been predestined to share in God's holiness. And then in that Holiness, be able to see Him, to truly, as we saw this morning, to celebrate Him, and to reflect His radiant perfections to the world, beginning in Abu Dhabi, but to all nations. And we do it while we're enjoying His presence, and we'll do it for eternity. And so here in this church, we are getting a taste of what's to come forever. And so God has redeemed His people. And he's given us a destiny, and that destiny is to be holy. And it truly is a blessing to have this foretaste right now, an appetizer. The full meal will be in eternity, but we have a foretaste right now, right here, or through the power of his spirit, who is the Holy Spirit, we can become who God has made us to be, holy. Let us read in Colossians chapter 3 as we continue, verses 5 through 11, the next paragraph in this chapter. Colossians 3, 5 through 11. Put to death, therefore, what is in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked, when you were living in them, and in all. Amen. Powerful passage. Let me give you the main idea. The, the primary truth revealed here in this text is that believers are called to live consistently with who they are in Christ. This is the primary truth that God is revealing to his people today is that followers of Jesus, disciples, believers are called to live consistently with who they are in Christ. So when we talk about living consistently, being called by God to do so, again, congruent with who we are in Christ, we're talking about sanctification. And we began this conversation last week. Now, the word sanctify means to make holy. Now, the Bible talks about it in two ways. So there's actually two different types of sanctification described in God's Word. The first one is positional sanctification, and you'll see that here on on the screen. So the first kind is our positional sanctification. What this is, it's the status of holiness that we receive with conversion. So when someone repents and trusts in Jesus alone for their salvation, that person, as you saw last week, is born again. They're transformed from the inside they're resurrected, and they're given a status before God of holiness. And so sometimes this first way in the Bible of, of sanctification is called definitive sanctification, using some theology for you here this morning. Now, it's called it because this is definite. Our status, our position is that of being Holy, Which is why in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul and also Peter and others refer to God's people as saints. Why are we called saints? Because before God, we're holy. Also, we'll see this next week. We're called holy ones in here in Colossians 3. And so we're called saints and we're called holy because we have his Holy Spirit indwelling us. Why 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, says you were, past tense, you were sanctified. It's done. You are sanctified. You are holy. And so, what we're seeing here is the Bible talks about sanctification as being our position. Now, let's be honest. Before God, we are holy. But on this side of heaven, our experience... Maybe it's just me, but I doubt it. Our experience, whether physically or even psychologically, is not holy. We're not holy actually. Maybe spiritually and in God's eyes, he sees past, present, future. He sees it all. and He sees us as holy, as glorified. But that's the reason the Bible describes the second way of talking about sanctification, and that is progressive sanctification. Progressive sanctification is being increasingly set apart. The word holy means just that, set apart. And so progressive sanctification is being increasingly set apart as we progress in our actual holiness. This is this is very different because this flows from the spiritual life that we have in Jesus by faith. And so we are declared holy. We are holy before God, and yet we have to become holy on this side of heaven as we await that day when we die, are resurrected physically, and are glorified. And sanctification will be complete because we will be before Christ, holy. And so oftentimes, in normal language, when we talk about the word sanctification, we're usually talking about it in the more progressive sense, in the lifelong process of, of growing and becoming more like Jesus, becoming more holy. So growing in obedience, growing in grace, growing spiritually, all of these terms that we use oftentimes in, in our language is, is, biblically, the word is sanctification. It's hard work, isn't it? Growing in godliness, growing in obedience Growing in our holiness is hard work. And sometimes it's just flat out depressing. Because we see where we're at. And we see where we're supposed to be by God's grace and His word. And and sometimes we see, like, man, I have such a long way to go. And it can be really discouraging at times. When we're honestly trying to grow in our sanctification. But I truly praise God that this text... Even though at first glance, seems really hard with all of these lists of sins to put away. The reality is, as we this morning, this text is remarkable. This text reveals the greatness of our God. This text right here reveals the goodness of our God towards us and Jesus. This text here shows us God's loving call for us to truly become who we already are. So believers are called to live consistently with who they are in Christ. So my prayer has been this week and continues to be that we would be filled with hope. That we truly have hope today as we go through this text. And that through the power of His Spirit, That he will help us, he'll empower us to really grow, to walk in victory, to progress in our sanctification, to be more like Christ. So, the title for today's sermon is Becoming Who You Are. This is the call. It's Becoming Who You Are. So, how do you do it? How do do you consistently live with who you already are in Christ? What does it look like? What is a picture of someone that is honestly progressing in their sanctification? This text gives us some marks, some characteristics, a picture of what it should look like. And there's three primary ones. Look at the first one. The first mark of sanctification is actively killing your sinful desires. So the first mark or characteristic, the first part of this picture is someone is actively killing their sinful desires. You see in verse 5, the first half of the verse, put to death therefore what is earthly in you. He doesn't say play around with it. He He doesn't say anything other than be very violent. He says put to death therefore what is earthly in you. Now historically, theologians have used a big word for this. It's called mortification. And so, And next we'll look at the other side called vivification, so life of the Spirit. And so to mortify means to kill. And so in classic theology, this here, kill, put to death, is mortification. And he says, put to death, kill what is in you. Well, how do you do that practically? If we come down from our theological pedestal and say, okay, what does this mean? How do I actually do it? How do I kill my sinful desires? Let me just say this up front. On this side of heaven, on this side of being glorified, we will never fully destroy the sin that is inside of us. Never. We will never fully destroy it. But actively killing your sin, mortification, actively killing your sin, here's a good definition for you, okay, if you're taking notes. It is a habitual... Successful weakening of sin. So killing your sin is a habitual, successful weakening of sin that involves constant fighting against your sinful desires. Big definition, but we'll, we'll get practical here in a few minutes. But what it is, it's not having one good day here and one good day there. and I had, No, 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 no. This is a habitual, successful weakening of sin that involves constant fighting against your sinful desires. Verse 5 again. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So the first four sins in this list of five, the first four that we're told to actively kill are sexual in nature. And so this is going to be a very adult conversation, which is good because we're all big boys and girls in the room. And this is in the Bible. It's God's word for us today. So he mentions sexual morality, which the word there is, porneia. Sounds familiar? The word pornography comes from the word porneia in the Greek. And so this refers to all kinds of sexual sin. All, all of them. He says impurity, passion, evil desire. So these words are covering the entire spectrum A potential sexual sin. So adultery, which is having sex with someone who's not your husband or wife. So sex when you're already married, but someone that's not your spouse. You have fornication, which is having sex when you're not married to someone else that is not married. That is equally sinful. Homosexuality, pornography, lust. The list goes on of ways that we fall short of God's call of sexual purity. So what you're seeing here in this text is God is calling his people to reflect his glory, his purity in maintaining sexual purity. Now, it's significant. Don't miss this. The first four of these five are sexual in nature. But the fifth one says, and covetousness. He says, which is idolatry. So why do you think he puts coveting in the same list with other sexual sins? And he calls it idolatry. Well, coveting is idolatry because deep down inside, every one of us is envious of God. We are. Whether every moment or just on occasion, we all have our moments where we want autonomy. We want to be autonomous from God. We want to be independent from God. We want to be in control. We want life to go our way as we've decided. We want to have our plan for our life. So here God, put your stamp on it. Authenticate my plan because I already have it all figured out. And then God says, no, put, put your document down. I'm not going to stamp that. I have a better one for you. You think, well, I don't like that plan, God. I don't want to be in Abu Dhabi. Well, I do, but maybe you don't. I hope you do. Living here is wonderful, despite the heat. It's an amazing place. But some of you are here, not because you want to be, but because you have to be. And maybe that wasn't in your plan. But God had a better plan. And that means you being here. And maybe some of you are leaving, and you wish you weren't leaving. And even that is still in God's plan. But all of us can at times, want to be autonomous, be in control, or maybe we want to define morality. Or we can say, well, I know the Bible says it talks about all of these sexual sins to avoid, but you don't understand my circumstances. My circumstances are unique and very complex, and so I can't possibly apply what God's Word is saying. Really? Let's think again. We are envious of God. We want to be God. We want to be sovereign over ourselves. And so to love God is to not covet against him. And to love God is to not, or to love others, rather, is to not covet against them. Because coveting against someone else is going to very quickly deteriorate that relationship. So the call to love God and love others is a call to not covet God and not covet Others. And so the key, the key to loving God and loving others honest is to be content. That's the key, which is why you have the first command have no other gods before me. Number 10, do not covet. Book end. One is ten. Ten is one. Same reality, which is why he says coveting, which is idolatry finding joy in something else. And so being content, a soul that is satisfied in Christ is a soul that will not covet or desire idols. And so at its root, sexual sin is coveting. A man who looks upon a woman, that is not his, and is desiring her, that's coveting. And women do it too, it's not just the guys. So that's why he's equating coveting with sexual sin and he calls it idolatry. Verse 6 is a hard-hitting verse. It reminds us that sin is serious and judgment is coming. Sin really is more serious than we think it is. Sin draws our minds away from God. And sin then entices us with, with promises of joy and satisfaction and excitement. And so sin promises that. All the while, it's twisting our desires. But what it does is sin then leaves us enslaved and in darkness and very far from God. And no fulfillment of those promises because they were all lies. And so God hates sin because of what it has done. Corrupted his good creation and he will judge it one day. Verses 7 through 9 are also important. Let's reread that. As we continue thinking about killing our sin, he says, In these you too once walked, when you were living in them. But now you must put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So here we have a second list of sins that we need to avoid. They need to be killed. And so he's described anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. And he says, and also do not lie. And so these are not sexual. This is a different list. Now he's talking about heart attitudes and speech. Because what we say flows out of the heart anyway. That's where it all begins. And so these are heart attitudes and these are words. And so we're called to have self-control. How we speak to other people reflects our heart. And also how we speak about people. Other people is revealing our heart. So God is gracious and he is truthful. And so our words ought to be gracious and full of truth and not deceptive. And so we must reflect the character of God. So how does this work? Again, let's just think practically. How are we able to put away these sins to kill them? How do we fight against these desires? Let me give you a phrase that you need to learn. Beholding leads to becoming. Beholding leads to becoming. Remember, the goal is to become who we already are declared by God in Christ, to become holy. Beholding leads to becoming. So whatever you're beholding, that's just a big word for looking at, gazing upon what you're you're focused on. what, What is your gaze fixed upon? What consumes your thoughts and what is your life focused on? You're beholding that. And so whatever we're focused on is going to dictate what we will become. Whatever we're focused on is going to dictate what we will become. And so we must teach our our young adults, our teenagers, teach our children, whatever you're focused on will directly lead to what you will become. And this text is, or this is taught clearly in a different text. And, for example, 2 Corinthians 3.18. Again, 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, beholding, there's that word, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So he says, you're beholding, you're looking at, you're focused on the glory of the Lord. And as we're beholding him, the spirit transforms us. This comes from the spirit. So God's spirit transforms us, not all at once, little by little, he says one degree to another. And so it's a slow, ongoing, lifelong process that glorifies God with this everyday trusting to him, him, looking to him, beholding him. And as we do that, as our minds and our lives are fixed upon Jesus and his glory, the spirit then begins to transform our hearts and desires in our lives. We must see the glory of God. We must see his grace towards us and meditate on Jesus and meditate with Jesus. Truly enjoy his presence as we read his word and pray and spend time enjoying him. He transforms as we focus on him. If you want to become what God has made you to be, the key is having a profound, satisfying, living relationship with Jesus. It's the only way. Anything else is behavior modification, self-help, pop psychology that may lead to your behavior changing but would not lead to sanctification. It will not change your heart. What will happen is as we're truly enjoying Christ. The, the grip of sin begins to, to lessen and be more loose and is less of a hold on us. Which is why in verse 5 it says, put to death, therefore. That word is therefore a very important reason. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Why does he add the word therefore? Because the previous paragraph that we looked at last week Describes that we have union with Christ. He says, Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so, since we are in Christ and He is in us, we can therefore, so in light of that truth, that we have union with Christ, we therefore now can kill sinful desires. This is all, hear me, this is the grace of God. The only reason that we can progress in holiness and become what God's made us to be is the grace of God. Only God's grace makes it possible for us to battle our sin and truly grow in sanctification. It is all about his grace. And we kill our desires that are sinful with the sword of the spirit, which is what? The word of God. That is how we kill our desires that are ungodly, is with the sword of the spirit which is the Word of God. So we memorize His Word. We have to be reading His Word and having His Word penetrate deeply into our soul. So if we're not actively in the Word, we have no hope of killing our sin. So when we're tempted to sin, we focus on Jesus, remember His Word, and use your imagination. Hey, God gave us an imagination. We should use it. And I want you to have very violent imaginations. Over here, you're using a sword, and you're actually killing that sin. Visualize that. Visualize that temptation coming at you, and you have your sword, and you're ready, and, and you are destroying that sin. Put to death. Kill it with the sword of the Spirit. His Spirit gives a death blow to this sin. And the motivation is God's presence. And so when we indulge in sin, it clouds God's presence and will rob us of joy. So ultimately, how do we kill our sin? We focus on the glory of God. We look to him. We don't focus on the sin, we focus on Christ. A second mark of someone that is really progressing in sanctification is recognizing your identity in Christ. So we must recognize who we are, our identity in Christ. So the call to be holy is not, hear me, the call to be holy is not a call to earn your salvation. It's not a call to religious duty where you're going to earn your salvation. Jesus already earned it, dying and resurrecting from the dead. So the call to be holy is progressively by faith, trusting in Jesus to become who we already are in Christ. So recognizing your identity is the foundation to killing your sin and progressing in your holiness. So what is your identity? If I want to give you just one brief definition, what is your identity? A new creation. That is your identity. God has already begun his work of recreating the world and people who will live with him and display his glory for eternity. And you look around in this room and you see new creations. People that have been born again of the Spirit, resurrected spiritually with new desires to please God and new hatred for sin, and new power through the Spirit to walk in that. And so he says in verse 7, he says, In these you once walked when you were living in them. So you used to live that way, but now you've been made new. Verse 9 and 10. So do not lie to one another. Because he says, you've put off the old self with its practices. You have put on the new self, which is being, this is important, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the Creator. Very important. He says, your old self died. He died on the cross with Jesus. That old self that indulged in sinful things has died, been made new. And he says, this new life you have is being renewed. So this language of being renewed refers to a continuous, ongoing process. As you know, as you have knowledge, but this is a personal knowing Knowing God more profoundly leads to becoming more like Him. So God is the one working in us, giving us the desire and ability to obey. He gets all the credit for who we become and being conformed to His image, as it says right here. Now, I already know what you're thinking. Not all of you, but some of you already know. Let's just be honest. Some of you are thinking, okay, this sounds lofty. I get it. You're saying that my old self was crucified with Jesus, and now I'm made new. That old self is dead, but he seems pretty alive in my life right now. I was talking to a brother this week, and he was like, yeah, you were preaching last week about how the old man is dead and crucified with Jesus, but he seems to come off the cross all the time. He seems pretty alive. And this old self with sinful desires you know, it's, it doesn't seem like, yeah, it's theological, it's in the Bible, but practically, it feels like this old self is very much alive and well. And some of you are thinking, man, I am really giving into temptation. I would never raise my hand and admit that in this room, but honestly, before God, maybe you really are giving into temptation. And maybe you're thinking to yourself sitting here this morning, you're like, I just don't see it. I just don't see any holiness in my life. And I really do want it, but I'm just not seeing it. It all goes back to your identity. It all goes back to who you are in Christ. Hear me. And I say this with the authority of God's word. Not to make you feel better, but this is God's word to us today. God does not expect perfection from you. He does not expect perfection from you. He doesn't. God is pleased through Christ, who is perfect, who perfectly maintained all of God's law and requirements and paid the penalty. God is pleased through Christ to accept our sincere obedience even though it contains weaknesses and imperfections. But God does expect effort. Gospel-centered, spirit-fueled, community-minded effort, absolutely. But even that's empowered by the Spirit. Does your growth in holiness seem really small and maybe insignificant? Don't forget that your heart used to be spiritually dead. Remember who you are in Christ. The fact that we even can desire, hear me, the fact that we even want to please God, and the fact that we even hate our sin, that is a miracle that only God's Spirit can do. Only God's Spirit will give us hatred for sin, only God's Spirit even gives us a desire to be holy. That comes from God, who is his Spirit. Why do we sometimes, as believers, picture our God in heaven as really harsh and unmoved by our honest attempts at obedience? He is, after all, your Father. And He loves, it's sweet to Him to watch you grow and learn to walk, and even when you fall, to pick you up and say, come on, I already see who you're going to become. I already see you glorified, seated in the heavenly places. Get up and walk in it. It's sweet to him. God delights in you. This is the greatness of our God. He is so incredible. He desires you and he delights in your pursuing him. And he wants you to delight in him. Remembering your identity is everything for you to grow. It's so critical. Who are you? Some of you are thinking, I am depressed. No, you're not. You are not depressed. You are not defined by your struggles. Oh, I'm a glutton. No, you're not. I'm an addict. No, you're not. No, you're not. Don't you dare define yourself by your sins or your struggles. Don't you do it. God does not define you by your struggles. And you, we will not be defeated nor identified by our temptations or by our sins. Who are you? You are a beloved Child of God. Who are you? You are an ambassador who represents the king right here on this earth. Who are you? You are his servant. Who are you? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Who are you? You are the cherished bride of Christ. Who are you? You are a saint before God. You are a priest. Before God who can enjoy His presence. Who are you? You are His masterpiece, His handiwork. Who are you? You are an heir to future glory. Who are you? You are a worshiper. The one true God. This is who you are. And you may have struggles. We all do. And God knows that. But by His grace, through his word, with brothers and sisters helping us along this journey, by faith, truly beholding the glory of God, he is transforming us from one degree of glory to another, and he will finish what he started. Don't lose you are a spirit-filled worshiper of God, and you have union with Christ. And nothing can change your union with Jesus. If you're a believer, you have his spirit, and his spirit will not depart from you. That is your identity. However, just because we have union that cannot end, does not mean that our communion with God can't be effective, because it can. It can. When we fail to actively kill our sin and see who we are in Christ, our intimacy, our communion with Christ is hindered. Think of it in terms of your marriage. I've been married for 15 years now, so I know this reasonably well. I have union with my wife. We're married. But I have to continue to pursue her. Guys, some of you that your marriages aren't very vibrant, you know why? Because all the things that you did when you were dating and courting her, when you were pursuing her, you stopped doing any of them. You don't take her out on dates. You don't write her any love notes. You don't ever buy her flowers. You don't talk to her. You don't listen to her. You don't spend time with her. You don't serve her. And so what happens? Your, your marriage has no vibrancy. Back when you were dating, it was really vibrant. And now that you're married years later, you're like, man, is stagnant. I don't know, marriage sucks. No, it doesn't. Are you pursuing your wife? Now, if I neglect my wife and if I sin against her, that won't end our union. We'll still be married. It'll just affect our communion. It'll affect our intimacy. It'll affect how vibrant the marriage is. So understand that your union with Christ, we are, after all, referred to as the bride of Christ. Your union will not end. There's no divorce. God will not divorce us. But the level of intimacy and enjoyment, God's presence will be hindered when we don't actively kill our sin and remember who we are in Christ. This is the same reality. We must fight the good fight Of faith and remember who we are, and we'll grow. Now, let me give you an illustration from this text. This text is talking about sexual purity at length in verse 5. So, let, let me give you an illustration from our modern day world that is sexual in nature of how we can kill our sin and remembering our identity is all interconnected. Let's just be honest for a second. Okay, we're all adults in here, right? The female body is the most beautiful and striking creation under the sun. And if you don't think so, just stop for a second and think. The female body is painted on cave walls. The female body is inscribed in ancient hieroglyphics with the Egyptians. The female body has been sculpted and painted and photographed more than anything else under the sun in creation. And so, as as beautiful as landscapes are, as beautiful as the mountains are, they don't compare and aren't as striking or as beautiful as the female body. And this is God's idea. God thought of the female body. God designed the female body. And so God made women beautiful to display his glory. Because all of creation is meant to display God's glory. And so when a man sees a beautiful woman, and all women are beautiful, when a man sees a woman, he should respond and say, Oh, she's beautiful. She's made in God's image. God is beautiful. Praise God for his creation that's beautiful. We should see beautiful women and respond with worship to God and praise him for being creative and beautiful and creating beautiful things. Just like when you eat food and it tastes good, you praise God for the food. Everything in creation is meant to see how wondrous God is and to praise him for it. And so our response to God at the start of being beautiful should be praise God. Now, we should respond to that woman that is beautiful with with honor and with respect and admiration. That's how we're supposed to respond to beautiful women. Respect and honor and admiration. However, because of our sin, instead of being in awe of the Creator, when we see beauty, we worship the created instead. And so instead of seeing something beautiful, and praising God and responding with respect and honor, we respond with idolatry. We respond with worshiping the created. And so a female body is worshiped in our world. People bow down and worship a female body far, far too often. And so our world with its sexual images of women, sadly many very violent, pornography as a whole denigrates women. And it takes a beautiful image bearer who reflects the glory of God and it takes this person, women, and it turns them into mere objects that are for self gratification, No longer image bearers, now just simply objects To be used selfishly. So men. Not if. When. When we are tempted to lust. We must kill those sinful desires. We must fight. And not give in. Remember who you are. Remember your identity. You are a worshiper of King Jesus then we'd not give in to the idolatry of sexual sin. The pursuit of holiness really is the pursuit of God. That's what it is. The pursuit of holiness is the pursuit of God himself. Jesus is the prize. He is the reward. There's nothing greater than having more of his presence in our lives last mark as we wrap things up this morning. So we're looking at the marks, a picture of someone that is progressing sanctification. We're seeing, first of all, it's actively killing your sin with the sword of the Spirit. We're seeing it's knowing your identity, who you are in Christ. Lastly, it's pursuing Christ-centered community. If you're growing in sanctification, then you are pursuing Christ-centered community. You see it in verse 11. For there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This verse is describing the basis, the foundation for our community. As a people of God, our, our community, what bonds us, is not the realities of this world. He mentions Greek and Jew. Those are nationality or, or ethnic realities. And so ethnicity does not bind us. So we're not bound because of our ethnicity. He says circumcised and uncircumcised. We're not bound by religious heritage or tradition. He mentions barbarian or Scythian. These were cruel and considered uncivilized people. Had a very different culture from the Colossians. We're not bound by our culture. It's deeper than that. He says, you're not slave or free. We're not bound by socioeconomic reasons. You see, many churches are bound because of socioeconomic status. Oh, that's a rich white church. That's socioeconomic. That's cultural. That's national. That's ethnic. And it's cultural. Those realities do not bind us. He says, but Christ is all and in all through His Spirit. Christ is in all of us. And all of us together confess Him as King. Christ binds us. It's so much greater than culture or economic status or nationality or religious background. He binds us. A law for King Jesus, for His gospel, His Spirit binds us. It keeps us together. And listen, let's just be honest. We all struggle beginning with his, your pastor we all struggle we all have sinful desires there are no exceptions we must all be real with one another and this is a church where we're going to be real we need one another we desperately need each other we cannot grow in holiness alone it's just it goes against God's word it's just not possible You will not grow by minimizing, by denying or trying to hide your sin. Showing up on a Friday morning is not going to be enough. You need to pursue true Christ-centered community. You know, being a pastor is challenging for different reasons. But one challenge as a pastor is you can't know everyone on the exact same level. I can't. I know there's some of you in this room that what you need today is encouragement. You need a gentle word today because you really are pursuing Jesus. You really do hate your sin. You really are actively killing your sin. And you need a gentle word of encouragement. Just keep going. God loves you. And and if you're in this room, and if, if that's what your heart needs the most, hear it from God's word. He loves you and just keep going. But there's other... Others of you in this room, if I'm honest with you, well, what you need most is a kick in the pants. You do. You're playing games. You're not taking it seriously. You're playing with sin, you're indulging in it, and you know it, and you're putting up a good front, but at home everyone knows it, but maybe not even there. But your God knows it, and you know it. And what you need is a rebuke, not just from your pastor, but from God's word. And you need to get serious. You need to kill your sin. So I can't know where everyone is at, but here's what I can tell you. You and I, we need to be known like that by someone. We all need people that really do know whether we need the encouragement or the kick in the pants, someone needs to know you like that. Which is why in our church we have home groups. We meet every week. If you just hold from the word and have community, if not in one, you're really missing out. We also have discipleship groups, groups of three, same gender, intentionality tremendous spiritual growth. I'll talk about these two kinds of groups at length next week. We're going to have sign-up forms where you can sign up if you're not in one, where you can join home groups and discipleship groups. We all need Christ-centered community. It's the only way this is what God's word is revealing. Christ is in all and all. He binds us together. We do this together. God loves you. He died, he sent his son to die for you so that we can be holy, set apart, and display his glory to the world. Is your life increasingly marked by obedience to the king? Let's pray. Father, we praise you today. You are so good to us. We who are so undeserving, we thank you that you have made it possible for us to be forgiven through the work of your son on the cross. Those of us that are trusting in you alone, we have your Holy Spirit and you are conforming to your image. Help us. We need you to help us. We want to be a church that is known for obedience, for honesty, for killing our sin violently because we want you more. Help us be the people that you have made us to be for your glory, so that more people will see and know and taste that you are good. We pray this in the name of your Son, our King, and our delight, Jesus. Amen.